informative podcast all about training working dogs look no further than the lwdg pod dog this weekly show is hosted by me joanne perrott founder of the ladies working dog group and i chat to experienced trainers and experts in the field who will give you helpful tips and advice whether you're just getting started or you've been working dogs for years this podcast will have something for you so pull up a chair pour yourself a cup of coffee and tune in to lwdg pod dog and let us help you build a better bond with your best friend. Hello and welcome to another episode of LWDG Pod Dog. This week I'm joined by the amazing celebrity trainer and featured expert Rob Elaine and the wonderful LWDG group expert Claire Denya. We're going to be talking all about using food and training with working dogs. So I'm going to start off by saying hello to you both. How are you today, Rob? Hi, Joe. I've never felt better. Thank you. And Claire, how are you? I am very good, Jay. Thank you. So the concept for this podcast came off the back of our guest Q&A last week when we started talking with our society members about how you should use or not use food when training working dogs. So if we start right at the beginning, where should food be used in training, Rob? This is such an interesting topic, Joe, and I think it's one that really we should spend a lot more time talking about. I think we just take it too much for granted. You get your puppies, shovel food in. And I think that if you look at puppies right when you first get them, they're much more into uh, verbal and physical praise and contact than they are food. But we're led to believe right from when you get your puppy, you've got to shovel food into it for everything. The littlest things, offer it food. If you want it to sit, offer it food. If you want it to come, offer it food. And so we get really into this, just constantly offering the dog food. And I think what it creates is a dog who, by the time it's maybe five months old, is less interested in you and more interested in food. And then we want to try and phase the food out. But we've created our own monster. We've made this dog so dependent on food that as soon as you try and stop using food, the dog doesn't want it. So um, and this is something that I'm still kicking around very much in my head. And, and hopefully what we are as trainers keep doing is evolving what we do. So certainly a generation ago, I used a lot more food than I'm gonna use now with my next dog. So for me, I'm only going to use food if I think that the dog is so unlikely to pay attention for verbal and physical praise that I need it. But my goal will always be to phase it out as quickly as possible and not become too reliant on it. What do you think, Claire? Yeah, it's a really interesting thing. And a bit like you just said, Rob, I have to say my views on on using food have changed a lot over the last few years. Um, When I think back to when I did more obedience type classes with Indy before I got more into gun dog work, the class I went to, it was food all the time. And now I see there are so many other better ways or not necessarily better, but more fulfilling ways to reward a dog and to work with a dog than just using food. Um, So for me, I sometimes feel that with some young dogs, especially if we're training them out on the field where it's distracting, food can help initially to get the dog's attention. Um, But it's really important to 
educate the owners on how to phase food out or other ways of rewarding dogs and what you're using the food for so that they don't get misled into thinking that they're going to be carrying food for the rest of their lives. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things we all see when we first come to training just a pet dog now, let's not even get to the, the pet gun dog or the multi-purpose dog, but we all all things straight away, let's use food, let's use food. We start reading books and they talk about luring and shaping and all these things. And they are very much food orientated, which makes quite a lot of the information we see out there solely based on us having pockets full of nice things for our dogs to eat. So is it important we start off with food? Firstly, obviously, it's going to depend on the dog and how motivated the dog is by the owner and also how interesting the owner is. You know, I've had some people come to my classes who are, you know, dull as dishwater. And you just think there's more chance of me winning Albino of the year than there is of that dog being interested in that person. <laughs> I entered last year. I didn't win. I think I was too tall. But um, you just think, OK, well, maybe with this person, I'm going to have to use food just to bridge that gap. But again, I'll be looking to phase it out as soon as possible and be working on them being more entertaining. But I suppose if you've got a dog who just isn't interested in the owner, then you're going to have to start with food. But again, I would want to use the lowest value food that I think would get that dog's attention and maybe save higher value food for those much more stimulating times. But again, what we tend to do is we start the training with the really, 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 really exciting food. And so then it's very hard to make the food any more exciting if you want the dog to work, to work harder. So I'm going to try not to use it when I start whenever I can and only fall back on it at the start if I need it. Claire? Yeah, it's interesting because something you just said triggered a little memory in my head. And John and I, as you know, don't run any classes indoors anymore. And we used to run quite a lot of classes indoors as well as our outdoor classes. And now everything is outside. And I was thinking back and I was like, I remember that when we were teaching inside, it was actually easier for the owners to get the puppy's attention. And although a lot of them still needed to use food, it was often lower value food, a little bit of kibble or something. Um, and on the field, it's been really interesting because initially I expected all of the dogs to be much more much, much more um, distracted by the environment and by the smells in the grass and, and everything else and the wind blowing and all of that um, and expected them to need to use maybe a higher value treat if they weren't very interesting or exciting for the dog. But actually, when I've really looked at it and it's like, no, it's not about that. It is about the relationship between the dog and the owner that makes the difference more so than the environment. And, you know, we have some owners that are barely using any food at all because they are able to connect with the puppy or the, the dog during training and other owners that um, are very reliant on the food. Um, and it's a relationship thing, right? When we talk about relationships we tend to think even amongst humans our one of our ways of bonding is around food isn't it it's like going out for a meal or something it's very much food related in our culture has that then gone over to the dog are we using food and seeing it in like a human way of thinking i'm i'm 
building a bond with you because I just gave you a, a dentistics. Well, I think it's like, I mean, if you look at any social animal who lives in a social group or even an animal who rears its own young but doesn't live in a social group, they never have problems with recall. You know, you don't see a lion taking her cubs out and they all just run off into the sunset and she's trying to bribe them back with bits of wildebeest and, and that's not working. So she gets the zebra out, you know. They just come when they're called. And I think there shouldn't be a reason why it should be any different for us. And I think the difference between the bonding that we do around food as a family and what we do with a dog is you say to your family, yeah, dinner at seven. You don't bribe them with the food. You don't say, but you're only <laughs> going to get it if you do this or if you do that, which is what we do with the dog. We say, if you come back, you can have this piece of food. Um, and we hope that the dog will go, okay, well, yeah, I think I want that piece of food more than I want that distraction over there. I'll come back. So I think with food, with humans, what we do is we kind of sit around all eating and we chat and we catch up. And, but it's not really the food that's strengthening that bond. It's the catching up that we do around the food. Mm. Whereas with the dog, we're just putting food into it. And the dog says, okay, well, as long as you keep putting food into me, I'll consider doing what it is you're asking. I think also it's looking at how differently food is used as well now. Like you've got these trends of scatter feeding. Well, yeah. that's not building bonds between the owner and the dog, is it? It's teaching the dog to search on the floor for food. Um, food is being used in ways that there is no way that that can be beneficial toward building a bond or relationship with the owner. I just don't see how that's possible using those techniques in my honest opinion, because if you're using food to reward the dog, then the reward should be coming from you, not the floor. I absolutely agree on this one, because I've got to be honest, if Mr. P says to me, Joe, come downstairs, I've got a bag of M&Ms. I'm pretty fast downstairs. If he scatters the M&Ms across the floor randomly, <laughs> I don't think I'd have the same feeling about them. But I think <laughs> it's that cool thing, isn't it? It's like, do we... We, we go, I don't know whether this is like a dog training or working dog training thing, but we tend to like go to extremes with our, our thoughts around something. You know, like you said, it's gone from maybe just having a few pieces of kibble in our pocket and every now and then giving them one as when they've done something really good to like literally carrying the entire contents of Safeway's Fresh Isle with you wherever <laughs> you go. When, you know, has it always been like this, Rob, or is this like a new thing? Where is it coming from? Well, but interestingly, in the, in the scenario you just gave with Mr. P and the and the M and M's, if he came, you came in and he said, "Look, I've bought you this bag of M and M's." You might think, "Oh, that was really nice of you," but in the long term, it's not going to change your relationship with him. He's just <laughs> the supplier of the M and M's, and eventually, when he doesn't bring the M and M's home, you're going to go. Well, where the hell are the M&Ms? And you, and you say, well, I thought we were past that now. I thought you just love me for me. And you say, and I do, darling, but I love you for you more when you give me the M&Ms. So you might want to pop off to the shop. And that's the thing. I think the same thing kind of happens with the dog. We assume if we just keep putting food in him, he'll love us. I deal as a behavioral trainer so many times. I just did last week with somebody who has a dog who's nervous of people and she'd be getting this guy to feed it all afternoon and the dog had been taking all the food from him. And then the moment he put his hand out, the dog bit him and she was really shocked. And I said, well, why did you think him just giving the dog treats would make him more appealing to the dog? He was just a Pez machine dispensing food. Didn't change the way the dog saw him. And I think we're sometimes led to believe that 
if you just keep dog giving a dog food, at some point its relationship with you is gonna change. And I think if we depend on food to create that better relationship with the dog, rather than just creating a training exercise, that's where I think a lot of people come unstuck. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Absolutely, 100%. And um, I think, you know, we are going to talk in this podcast about this kind of thing. But Rob and I have spoken so many times about this. There are certain times in training that using food to help build a good solid reward history and something that maybe isn't very naturally rewarding for the dog, like heel work, food can be very useful for that but also educating the owner on how to pair that with praise, how to maybe mix that up with play, how to use play instead of food and how to maybe phase out those rewards and not lose the behaviour are also important. Um, but in other activities, I've even seen it go completely the other way where you see dogs actually snatching food with frustration. They don't really want the food. They're only taking it because it's on offer. They want to be doing the activity, the hunting, the retrieving, whatever else. And so they literally snatch the food because they don't really want it, but it's just there. So they just eat it. And there's nothing to be gained from that. Would you agree with that, Rob? Absolutely. I mean, this is something we've talked about a lot on the mm. course, which is the difference between theory and reality. And there is so much that I get what people are saying in theory. I see why people go down that road in theory. I get what they're trying to achieve in theory. But often the reason why it doesn't work is because the reality is different. So as you say, we say, well, in theory, we'll keep using food because it will make the dog more keen to do the exercise. But as you say, you end up not then sometimes with a dog who just snatches the food. And he's like, look, for Christ's sake, I'll take the food, but I really just want to do the exercise. Yeah. And actually the food starts to get in the way of the training, but we believe, well, it should keep working, but it's now gone too far. And the dog says, actually, you're trying to make me take something I don't really want. We've seen lots of cases with dogs who become resource guardian or aggressive around food, where food has been used too highly or too long. And the dog now says, look, I'm gonna take the food. Now I want you to just clear off and leave me alone. And actually it can really start to work against you. So I think, yeah, there's a kind of lean, and, and I mean, I'm still learning this myself, you know, even a year ago, I would have been using more food than I'm going to use now. Two years ago, I would have been using much more food. And I'm still kind of developing this theory in my head, even as we speak. But I think that's where we should all be moving to, to become less reliant on these things. Probably more reliant on play and less reliant on food. Mm. So that the dog isn't just doing it because he gets fed. He actually wants to have fun with you. He thinks of you as fun. So maybe what I'll be doing is doing less food and more play. We talked a little bit about this last week uh, between us, this whole concept of rewarding a working dog. And we chatted about the fact that if you look back in traditional gun dog training, you would not see a, a food-based reward. Even now, with quite a lot of gun dog um, trainers, especially with, with male gun dog trainers, to produce um, a bag of treats is probably like, well, it's, it's down there with stepping in, in poop. It's not <laughs> a good thing to do with a dog. And they are very much reward uh, giving through things like touch and praise. Do you think that we could be bringing in more of the sort of like touch and praise rewards and weaning and getting rid of this idea as food being the reward and the only reward? 
yeah i you know sometimes in some ways not all but in some ways we've swung too far the other way you know and we're trying to reinvent the wheel you know i know lots of people who are farmers or or they work on the land and they have a dog and, and as you say their dogs never get food and bribes and things like that and they have the best behaved dogs and i don't think this is coincident because what they do is they much more work on their relationship with the dog than mm. just bribing it with stuff we are convinced now that the key is to bribe dogs and what they do is right from day one they start saying to that dog i'm a really good place to be you should choose to be with me and i think once you create that the dog says okay well what are we going to do rather than how much are you going to feed me so yeah i think we've swung a little bit too far the other way and we've become too reliant on it which again as i say i get the theory but what we're seeing is actually dogs seem to be working less well than they did before and that might be a clue that we've gone too far the other way claire yeah i think it's that classic case as well and um, if i if i think about what you see so often with um dogs where food is not being used appropriately or it's not being used um, in the very early stages of training in the right way um, and they think they're rewarding but they're not rewarding at all and very often what you'll see they'll be holding a piece of food so this is for me something that people can picture really easy they'll be holding a piece of food to keep the dog's attention that's not using the food to reward that's bribing the dog to stay in that position right yeah. And then they will let either do one of two things. And, and this is what I see most commonly and need to then work on with the owner. So have this piece of food and then either the dog is expected to walk for too long before anything happens that it goes, well, you're clearly not going to give me that food anyway. So just then lunges off to the side to do what it wanted to do anyway. Or they give the dog the piece of food there's no connection with that food to it being a reward. So there's no verbal praise, no physical praise, nothing else. They just give them this piece of food. The dog takes the food. And then instead of continuing the behavior, the dog then goes back to what it was going to do before, whether that's lunging on the lead or pulling the owner across to the side of the road to sniff or scent mark or whatever. So that's, a re for me, a really clear indication where food has been misused or the timing's been wrong or they've been literally bribing the dog with the food and not really training the dog does that make sense joe absolutely and i think like when we talk about it being a bribe i think that almost then develops into where the dog almost holds us hostage where oh. if, actually if you want me to come and stand by the side of you show me the food if you're not showing me the food, I'm not coming to heal. You can forget it. So we've almost given the power back in a different way where we have to constantly be providing stuff just to even get the basic behavior before we even got to think about reward. Well, again, it goes back to what we were talking about before about relationships. And as, I, as you were talking, I was thinking about all those species of animals who rear their own young. And if you think of any of them, wolves, zebras, hunting dogs, whatever, when do you see the young running ahead of the parent? Mm. When do you see them having to teach loose lead, stay level with me? The young are always either alongside them or behind them. They don't have to bribe them to stay there. They choose to stay there because that represents the safest place to be. 
And in theory, if every other species has worked that out, including canids, why should it be any different with my dog? And certainly I know living in London, every once in a while, um, I would see some idiot walking down the street with his 10 week old, usually bull terrier puppy, um, walking along the high street. And that dog was stuck to him like glue. And I think it's because he, without realizing it, was behaving like its mother would have. He just walks out the door and says, you can get lost or you can stay with me. And the puppy is so young and so vulnerable that it chooses to stay with him. It hasn't learned to be confident about the world yet. I would always pull over and have goes at them nonetheless because I just couldn't watch it. But when I think back, well, why was that puppy choosing to stay with him? And then I run my dog training class the following night and there's everybody walking around going, heel, heel, you're good boy, close, 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 and shoving food in. And the dogs are running away and jumping all over. Why was that happening? Why weren't they behaving like his? And I think it's because what he was doing was working harder on his relationship with the dog than he was on trying to convince the dog to follow food. Um, and I think that's what those animals who rear their young are doing. They're saying, I'm off, you better stick with me. And the, the babies do. But I think we condition our puppies to want to be everywhere else. You know, we're encouraged to socialize our puppy as much as possible. So we get as many people right from the day we get it to be stroking it and basically convincing it should go to other people. We encourage it to socialize with other dogs. So we start training it to want to run off to other dogs. And then we're surprised by the time it's six months old, we're the least interesting thing in the park. We're just the cab driver to the dog. We're just the one who gets it to the park. Um, but often with those guys, you see them actively discouraging, but yeah, can you not touch my dog, please? Mm. And again, those dogs don't learn those lessons that we're encouraged to teach our dogs. So I think it needs a real kind of reset. I get, again, I get all the theory of all the things that we do with those puppies. But I think what we're doing is setting them up to fail down the line. And I think our ancestors who reared their dogs, and I, when I say ancestors, I mean, only mean like grandparents, parent, parents sometimes, they recognize that. They understood that they needed to, first of all, make sure they had the right relationship with their dog. Yeah, um, 100%. And also, you just gave that example of, of things you've seen. But also, if you think about, let's say, street dogs, um, you know, you see homeless people on the street with their dogs, and they're not bribing those dogs to stay with them yeah. um, on the street, are they? They just stay with them. They don't go anywhere. And there's so many examples like that. Um, and I think it, it, it just genuinely, genuinely comes down to the relationship and having that relationship right. And from day one, from day one. But I think, you know, I think dog training has become so complicated and so owners so misguided that common sense has left the building in a lot of circumstances. I think as well, though, like if we talk about like what happened with our ancestors, where did the relationships between humans and dogs even start? It was because dogs worked out quite quickly that being around us was a safer place because they had access to food, access to other things that they knew would be around humans. So dogs didn't need convincing that it was better to be around us. We've sort of taken what they worked out for themselves hundreds of years ago and made it overcomplicated for them to have that relationship with us. Absolutely. That's exactly what's happened. We've just made it too complicated. Uh, it's funny, I was thinking about this earlier, uh, about that very thing. 
about how sometimes so i shared a video on my um, facebook page today i don't know if either of you've seen it of a puppy it's a german shepherd puppy pulling on the adult german shepherd's tail and i mean really playing tug with it and after a few seconds of this the adult shepherd turns and he looks at the puppy in a way that i was already thinking okay he's clearly saying this is not going to end well for you if you don't stop but the puppy of course hadn't got that so it just carried on tugging and then he suddenly shot around grabbed the puppy's muzzle and held on to it and you could see he wasn't attacking it or something he just held on to its muzzle until the puppy squealed and when the puppy squealed he then let it go and we watch that and we think okay well that and i so i put on there i put this really kind of inflammatory comment you know which of these dogs was being cruel to the other is the puppy being cruel for pulling the other one's tail or is the adult being cruel for making the puppy squeal and every commenter said well no you know the puppy was being rude and you know the older dog told him off and, and everybody said it was fine and then i put but if i'd done that with a rattle can which i wouldn't have used you've both seen me use one i would never have used it as loudly as that shepherd growled and i would never have used it for as long as that and there are people who would brand me the antichrist i'm a monster look what you've done to that poor puppy you'll traumatize it it'll never trust you your relationship's ruined and all that old stuff that i hear and I think this is where we're going wrong. What that dog was doing was establishing the right relationship with that puppy. Yes, we can have fun, but I need you to understand who's the daddy. What we're encouraged to do is do that with food. So if he's got, you've got a young puppy who's going to bite you and he tries to bite you, distract him with some food. And so what he learns is, well, I get food when I bite people. I should bite people more often. You know, imagine if every time somebody went to rob you, you threw them your purse. Do you think they'd rob people less? No, of course not. They'd rob people more. They don't actually have to work at getting your purse. You just throw it to them. So again, as I keep saying, I get the theory of that. But the reality is we're creating dogs who don't have very good relationships with their owners. And that's why they're making really bad choices. We're just a Pez machine dispensing food. Yeah. Gonna... It, yeah. <laughs> I saw a video. I did tell you about this video, Rob. I don't know, Joe, if I told you about this video, but it absolutely horrified me. It was of a, a young um, collie puppy who was attacking a cat in the family home. It was apparently attacking children as well, but attacking a cat. And um, the technique that the owner had been given to stop the dog attacking the cat was to throw food across the floor to distract it. So... <laughs> Obviously, if you really think about what the dog's learning from that, the dog is learning. If I want you to throw food on the floor for me, I'll attack the cat. You'll throw food across the floor. And so people are really, really dangerously misusing food in dog training, thinking they're distracting the dog, but the dog is seeing that it's being rewarded. So that's brilliant. If I want you to throw some food on the floor, I'll attack the cat and then you'll throw me some food on the floor. Thank you very much. But it's terrifying that people can't see that this is what's happening. Well, you see, if you look at what we're told all the time, um, we're told that food and toys given after a behaviour will reinforce that behaviour. Positive reinforcement, that's the basic principle of positive mm -hmm. reinforcement. If you want to re reinforce it, as soon as it happens, reward it with food or toys. That will reinforce that behaviour. And yet we're told if your dog is biting you, offer it food and somehow... In that bit of science, the reverse is supposedly the case, that that will stop the dog from biting. No, of course it won't. 
the principle of positive reinforcement is that that will make the dog bite more because now he bites to get food. I don't know why we're making it more complicated than that. I think what's missing in our understanding, though, is all the sort of, you know, I get told all the time, there's a science paper for this, there's a science paper for that. And I appreciate there probably is many, many science papers. Um, I went to university and I did psychology and I understand the concepts of it. But they in controlled environments, testing for a specific thing in a specific way. So the outcomes of those or most of those are, as you say, Rob, as you say, Claire, they're not useful in general public life. And what is also then being missed is the concept that, like Claire just said about um, the dog biting, the positive reinforcement also becomes the habit. So it's, again, it's another element of our understanding of psychology of humans or dogs that doesn't connect for us. And we end up with this like piece of the puzzle. We work on that all the time, not realizing there's all these other bits of puzzle you need to understand as well. Well, again, going back to what we were talking about before about reinventing the wheel. Now, and don't get me wrong, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying anybody should go out and do this. But I remember back when I was a boy, you know, we had a dog. Um, and right from when he was a puppy, my dad had an assortment of rolled up newspapers all over the house. And we got the puppy eight weeks. By nine weeks, that puppy didn't bite anymore. Because every time he bit somebody, somebody clouted him. Which was kind of what was happening in that video I was describing with the German Shepherd and the German Shepherd puppy. He kind of clouted the puppy. The puppy was pulling his tail and he went, you need to pack that in. And the puppy went, okay, I get it. And a generation ago, that's what people did. Puppies bit, you clouted them. And of course they clouted them because they clouted their own children. There was no way they were going to clout the kids and not clout the dog. Don't get me wrong, they shouldn't have been clouting either. My, my son is 24 years old, never laid a hand on him. But it was very simple. The dog learned it was very simple. If I do bad stuff, bad stuff happens. If I do good stuff, good stuff happens. Now we've been led to make it too complicated. So in the scenario Claire was doing, or just described, what actually happens is the dog does bad stuff. He gets good stuff. How is he going to work that out? If I do this thing, which is actually something nobody wants me to do, I get food. Why would he stop doing it? It doesn't make any sense. So once again, I get the theory of that. But the reality is the average age now of a dog going into rescue is eight months. They're not even adult. They're already in rescue. And the number one reason for dogs to go into rescue is because of what the owner deemed to be serious behavioral issues. They're eight months old. They've already got so such bad behavior that the owner gets rid of them. And we can say it's because of lockdown. It's because No, it was happening decades before that. This is not new. People might use lockdown as an excuse to get rid of the dog. But nobody gets rid of their dog because they were getting, they've were they gone back to work. Like they didn't know that was going to happen. They got rid of the dog because they couldn't bear the dog anymore. And so again, I think I see the theory of this. But the reality is every day now I'm dealing with, I know Claire is dealing with biting dogs, biting adolescents, biting pubescents, biting adults. They're biting people all the time because they have no self-control. And fixing them with food is not going to fix it. I have nothing to add to that. What can I possibly add to that? Like... <laughs> <laughs> it, it's just literally yes uh, you know and and Rob's right I am seeing such an increase at the moment of behavior cases um with namely the top ones are biting um and resource guarding it's yeah. off the scale um and actually in some of the cases they are quite serious but 
they're not difficult to fix, even though they're serious, because there's so much miscommunication going on between the dog and the owner. Yeah. Um, but they are the two main things I'm seeing increases is biting and resource guarding. I saw this the other day. Uh, we spend too much time on social media, I'm sure, but I, I use some, it's life now, isn't it? But I was watching a video of a lady with a cushion who was trying to teach her dog to give consent to be brushed. And each time the dog put his head on the cushion, she gave it a piece of kibble. So it didn't take a long a dog long to work out there. If he put his head on the on the um, cushion, he would get a piece of kibble. And then she introduced this brush at, at an alarmingly slow rate. I think it took her two days to get the brush on the cushion. And then she could brush the dog. And apparently the dog was given consent to be brushed. And I thought, no, the dog's worked out. If he puts his head on the cushion <laughs> and brush him, and he loves both. So he's not giving consent for crap. And I got quite angry about it because I thought, if I'm new and I've got a brand new puppy and I've never had any dogs in my life, and I'm sitting watching you now, you are my source of information. And I'm thinking it's now going to take me three years to brush my dog, but also that I have to go through all that where every pup I've ever met, you pick up the pup, you pick up a brush and pretty much straight away, they really enjoy it. They wriggle to get back down because they're babies. But the more you do it, the more they like it. It doesn't seem to be something that needed this consent or this reward or all this faff that we seem to be putting round things? We're just making it too complicated. We're just, as you say, a generation ago, you got your puppy and you were encouraged to start brushing it from the day you brought it home so that it would grow up understanding what the brush was, understanding it didn't have a choice, and then learning to like it. Now, as you say, you've got dogs who are still two or three years old and the owner is still brandishing the cushion, waiting for consent. The dog's now just a walking mat because it's actually decided, no, I don't want the treats and I don't want you to brush me either. And now if anyone takes a brush near the dog, the dog's aggressive. And so they end up calling Claire or I and saying, can you come and help us? Because now if I even go to the drawer where the brush is, the dog's growling at me. And a generation ago, we didn't have those problems. The dog just grew up understanding it had to have its hair brushed. And that, that was that. So I, I just think, again, as I keep saying, I get the theory of that. But when we look at the reality, it clearly isn't working. We, we can see this. And I know Claire is, because uh, we've discussed this before, we have so many clients now who contact us because they know that we're okay with saying to the dog, no, you have to stop doing that. Mm. They've tried positive reinforcement only. They've watched all the videos on YouTube and Facebook, and now they've got a dog that they can't get anywhere near. And so they contact us because we've said it's okay to tell your dog sometimes that it has to stop it. It doesn't mean we're not positive reinforcement trainers. I use positive reinforcement with every dog I train. I'll use food, I'll use toys, I'll use whatever works for that dog. But it does mean that at some point I'm going to say to the dog, but but this isn't a request. You, you don't have a choice. And then the dog says, okay, I get it. I get it. And that way, if he doesn't want the food, he does it anyway. So he's yeah. not hungry, but I understand I have to go and do that thing. I don't want to make it any more complicated than that. Yeah. Absolutely. And Rob's absolutely right. And Joe, you touched on consent being this this thing now. And that's a whole nother topic that maybe we'll have to do another podcast on because um, that's a huge topic. Um, and as Rob says, in theory, there are elements of that. But actually, the reality is if your dog gets injured, you have not got time to ask for consent 
to do something to help that dog in an emergency situation. So teaching dogs to be okay with restraints and with being handled is so, so important. But I don't want to digress into that entire conversation um, because we're going to completely lose what we're talking about. And definitely, I think there's another conversation on another podcast to be had there for sure. Um, but I think we should come back a little bit and talk a little bit more about luring and bribery because Rob did touch on it right at the beginning of the podcast. Um, and it's a really important thing because I think a lot of people will, will be confused by that. Are you happy with that, Rob? Yeah, absolutely. Joe, happy with that? <laughs> absolutely. So if I describe a little scenario here, um, then this is how I see it. And I'd be really interested to see what you guys think about this. But there are so many ways of showing a puppy or teaching a, a dog a new skill and showing a puppy a new skill. There are so many ways to do that. And um, I think we said right at the beginning of the podcast, it seems to be the go to now is to use food to do it. And sometimes with puppies, food is the quickest and easiest way to show them something. John actually describes this really, really well. So we use a combination of using a toy for motivation, using our voice for motivation. We use guided learning, which is another topic. Um, <laughs> and yes, with some puppies and dogs, food is a really quick and easy way to draw a diagram. So if, for instance, I'm showing an eight-week-old puppy where the heel position is, I might use a little treat to guide them into that position. And as they come into that position, I pair that position with a word and I praise the dog. But as soon as that puppy understands that, that food has to go. Because otherwise, that puppy will only come into that position for food. And this is where bribery, in my opinion, takes over incredibly quickly. So what you see is the dog is now six, eight months old and the owner is still having to hold a treat under the puppy's nose or the adolescent dog now's nose and bring it into heel. Because if they try and do it without it, the puppy just sits there and looks at them and goes, no, not doing it because you haven't got my food. Where's my food? I'm not working for you. Um, so you have to get rid of the food very, very quickly and then praise the dog. And John says, just imagine you're drawing a little diagram. That's how he describes it. And it really helps people think in their head. But we can teach the dog body language and hand signals with a treat in our hand very, very quickly. But then we have to get rid of that food very, very quickly and then find an alternative way to reward the dog, maybe through play, praise, stroking, you know, physical affection, or maybe through food if they value it highly enough. Um, but when then the dog knows it, but will only do it if you offer them food, absolutely, this is bribery. This, this is no longer a teaching stage. Rob? Yeah, I, I think we almost get into semantics here about the difference between luring and bribing. And when I think, yeah. if I look at it from the dog's perspective, I think I wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Mm. But I think what I would want to do, and certainly what I'll be doing with my next dog, is I'll want to use a very low value food, mm. but a huge amount of verbal and physical praise when I give it. Mm. And what most people do is they use food almost instead of verbal and physical praise. 
Yeah. So there's a good boy and give the dog food. And very quickly, the dog becomes bored with the food. And it goes back to something Joe mentioned, where you can literally see the dog sniffing the air and trying to look, trying to see if you've got something that he values enough. What is mm. that you've got? And then he goes, oh, yeah, it's garlic chicken. I will come back. But what I want to try and do is instead of using the garlic chicken on everything, I want to use the his dry dog food on things, but make such a massive praise for him when he comes back for it that he goes, wow, it was really worth coming back for that. But I, I know it's often very difficult, particularly in a class, to get people to sound as though they're really pleased. And I know you and I have spent years trying to get people to sound more enthusiastic. <laughs> and, um, and that can be a real challenge. But I think the more we rely on that and the less we rely on the food, the less reason there will be to either lure or bribe them. I think mm. we need to make ourselves so appealing that the dog wants to do it. But yeah, I think we can get way too much into, well, this is a lure and this is a bribe. And I think I don't think the dog gives it any thought. So again, I agree with the theory of it, but the reality is the dog doesn't care. He just says, you've got some food, I want it. What do I have to do to get it? I have to follow your hand, fine, I'll follow your hand. But as you said, often if you take too long to give it, the dog says, well, it doesn't seem like I'm getting very well paid for this. So actually I'll just go back to pulling. Yeah. So we've talked there about like the different types of rewards that we can use and how um, how they should be used. And we've talked right at the beginning about our relationship with the dog. How can we use building our relationship with the dog as a reward? Well, I think that we need to be more fun. I think that, you know, if you look at puppies, and that's where we're usually starting when it comes to things like gun dog training, you, you may end up with a rescue dog that you've got to do some work with. Um, but if it's a young dog, I think the vast majority of young dogs want fun more than food. And so for me, I would want to play lots of games that encourage my dog to physically interact with me. I know that um, in gun dog training, most gun dog trainers discourage things like tug. If I was doing gun dog training, I would do tug all the time. I do tug I all the time. I use tug all the time as well, Rob. I know you do, my darling. <laughs> and look at your dogs. Look how good their relationship is. I play tug all the time. Well, you say, oh, but it'll make their, their mouths hard you're just playing tug every once in a while with a little soft toy and the puppy's going wow this is really good fun really good fun and then when you walk away with that top that toy that dog is going to charge after you whereas if you're offering food he's just following a piece of food you put the toy away the dog's jumping up at your pocket trying to get to the toy he's much more excited than when you're using food and why wouldn't i want to keep encouraging that i want my dog to think of me as the best fun he can have look at most dogs who don't recall in the park young dogs what do they do they run off to chase other animals or they run off to look for food. Those are the two things that generally prevent dogs from recalling. And most of the young dogs, what they want to do is go and play with other dogs because the other dog is much more fun. The more fun I am, the less fun everything else is. So that would be my key, right from when it's a small puppy, even before it can go out, um, I would be playing loads of tug with it and encouraging it to want to interact with me. I'd be calling it as soon as it gets to me, really exciting, rough games, really fun. And then I put the toy away. I always want to leave the dog wanting more. Then an hour later, I'll take it out and do the same thing and keep doing that over and over. And within a day, you'll call that dog from anywhere. It'll come like lightning. Mm. Claire? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I do this with clients all the time. I teach them the power of play and in how that can build a more positive, more fast, a really fast recall. Um, and actually, Joe, it was something we covered in the Chasing Recall Masterclass um, where you saw me and Rose with our dogs using a game of tug to reward and then throw something behind us to help 
you know, build a chasing recall. So I do play tuggy with my dogs. There are certain things they're allowed to play tuggy with and certain things that they're not allowed to play tuggy with. Like we don't tug on dummies and we don't tug on birds for obvious reasons. Um, But they know that they are rewarded with um, little tug toys for doing great work. And I think this is why I put out so many videos of me training my dogs because my dogs actually look happy to be working with me and they're quite bouncy about everything. They're really enjoying it. And I want my dogs to enjoy working with me and hanging out with me. When I get my dogs out of a car, when we get to the field or a training area or whatever, they don't like run for the hills. They jump out the car and they're bouncing around me like, right, what are we doing, mum? What are we doing? And, you know, they want to start um, they want to start interacting with me, you know, because they know that training is fun. We play, we have fun, we train, we play, we have fun. And, and it's just this cycle. It's the relationship. There's a couple of things that you both mentioned there. And I think that this is quite important for owners of working dogs to to take on board, I suppose. It's like yesterday, Matt said to me, what's in your pocket in your coat Ella's going mad and I she's trying to get in your pocket and I said it's a small rabbit dummy now there's like treat jars there's food on the floor she wanted that more than anything and I knew what she'd do she would have got it out she would have brought it to us she would have had a little game with it but I think as working dog owners we forget that the work they do is rewarding in itself isn't it Yep. Yep. 100%. But that's a very interesting point, um, Joe, and it goes back to something that you've both said. So you earlier were touching on the relationship that our forebears had with their dogs and how the dogs just did the job. They didn't need to shovel them with food and treats and things. The dog did the job. And Claire, you were just talking about how you create lots of fun with your dog. And I think this is the difference between our forebears and Claire Daniel of today is that our forebears the dog did the job I don't think he was necessarily that um, excited or happy about his owner but his owner represented the opportunity to do the job Mm. so those dogs wanted to go out and work that was where the fun was what happens with Claire is when she takes her dogs out her dogs get the best of both worlds Mm. because even when she's not working them because of their relationship with her they want to be with her anyway whether they're working or not they're just as happy to just be with her as they are to work with her. So it's a much stronger, better relationship, I believe, than our forebears. Our forebears just said, I'm the boss, you will do as you're told. And the dog did, but it didn't necessarily, you know, it's like I always say, if you look at most kids, most kids preferred their mother, but they were more obedient to their father. Because the father represented, you know, the punisher. So he got obedience. The mother who was much more likely to acquiesce to the children, who was much more likely to spoil them. They didn't appreciate, they just took advantage of her. So she felt frustrated because why is it I do everything for you and yet you're much better behaved for him? Well, it's because he was kind of the, the enforcer. And I think that's what most often happened in the old days is you were the enforcer, the dog did it, and then it learned to do the job. And then it learned to love going with you to do the job, but it didn't necessarily love you as much as it could. Now what we see with people who do that kind of middle of the road training, who really encourage the dogs to do it well, but also create some boundaries that says to the dog it has to do it, I think that creates the best relationship of all. And that's what I think Claire was just talking about. And that's what the difference is. 
I have to mention this because we haven't, and I can't remember where I saw it, and I'm sure it was Facebook. And Rob, you might have shared it. I can't remember. There was a dog in a show ring, and the owner was carrying a chicken, an actual whole chicken. Yeah, that was me. <laughs> it was you. Joe, that wasn't you me with the chicken. It? it was me who shared it, not me with the chicken. <laughs> oh, no. So, and I think, you know, that shows the level to which this particular handler has had to go to keep its dog's attention. He was actually running around the show ring with an entire chicken. <laughs> a real one, Joe, a real chicken. <laughs> so, our thoughts going forward then amongst us. Um, we've seen this hashtag in our group because uh, we discussed this briefly last week. But is this sort of like hashtag of like less food, more fun? Now, mm. I know at some point it's going to end up on a t shirt. I don't know at which point. But... <laughs> I'll have one. I won't be putting that on as I go into the PT because he'll just fully agree. He'll be like, yes, do more gym work. Um, <laughs> but. <laughs> <laughs> but going forward now, uh, it's look, people need to start to really look at alternatives to food and really think about, is what I'm doing trying to be done to build a relationship or am I doing this to reward? Because mm -hmm. those two things are different. Absolutely. I was just talking to somebody about um, hand feeding. And again, I hear all this stuff all the time that I agree with in theory but I think the reality is different. And somebody was told, lots of people are told, I've read whole books about it, that hand feeding your dog will strengthen your relationship with the dog. I've never hand fed a dog in my life. I'm never going to hand feed a dog in my life. Um, it's like suggesting that when I give my dog his dinner, which I give him in a metal bowl on the floor every day, twice a day, that if I do that long enough, eventually he'll learn to love that bowl. The bowl is the thing that provides the food and he wants to take it to bed with him. When we go to the park, he says, can we bring the bowl, Dad? Because we develop such a strong relationship with the bowl because the bowl is the one that provides the food. And of course he doesn't. He doesn't give the bowl a second glance. And I think it's naive to think that if I keep hand feeding my dog, firstly, I think he's going to get frustrated. Why do I have to have the food one bit at a time? Can't I just have the whole handful of food? But secondly, I think to think that that will create a stronger relationship with him is, I think, naive at best. So I'm going to work on our relationship rather than these things that I read or hear or see on YouTube are actually going to make our relationship better. Rob, well, just to clarify, better. when you say hand feed, you're not talking about using treats to reward a dog. You're talking about giving the dog its food allowance. Yes. In training, aren't you? That's what you're specifically talking about. Because I get, I get, I hear this a lot. People say I was advised to use my dog's food allowance to train it. Um, but they're then using it, basically scatter feeding with it. You know, they're not using it to reward the dog even, but why not let the dog just enjoy its meal? It's crazy, right? Honestly, I wouldn't be happy if I had to go and find my food in various parts of the house or go and <laughs> rummage for it. That wouldn't make me feel bad, nor would it strengthen my relationship with, with the person who did that. Um, but this is this whole enrichment thing, though, isn't it? This is all, and again, that's another huge topic for oh another day. Don't, but don't it's that, isn't it? Don't start me off. <laughs> but yes, it is. Enrichment. So I want to enrich my dog's life 
So I'm going to get a piece of rubber, stick it to my wall and cover it in peanut butter. As though that is somehow going to enrich him. No, it's just enriching my wall with peanut butter, which really, really helps. <laughs> and scatter feeding, you know, my dog just rummaging around in the grass looking for food. How does this enrich his life? It's madness. It's like my dog doesn't use his sense of smell 24 hours a day anyway. But now he's rummaging around looking for food. Somehow that's going to enrich him. Again, I absolutely get the theory of it. In reality, no, I'm just teaching my dog to scavenge for food, which is not something I would want him to learn. It's an incredibly dangerous thing to teach them as well. We would never teach our children. In fact, if there's something on the floor and Meg goes near it, well, she doesn't do it now, she's 13. But if she was little and she went up, you literally like, ah, ah, no, don't yeah. touch on the floor. Aki, whatever, you know, Aki is a Welsh word, I think. But, you know, disgusting, don't go near it. You know, you you really overemphasize to children not to eat things off the floor. It's not nice. But then with our dogs, we seem quite happy to to throw away whatever it is. But again, Joe, I think in fairness, it's people trying to do the right thing. And there are all these inverted commas experts out there who say that that is the right thing. And again, I can see a logic in it. If I wanted a dog who thought that scavenging food was a good thing, then I would do it. But I mean, uh, a local park where I used to live in, in London, they had somebody who went into the dog exercise area, scattered cocktail sausages with razor blades in them, in the dog exercise oh. area. Now, all the people who taught their dogs to scavenge food will at that point regret it. Mm -hmm. But that may be very costly for the dog. Why would I want to do anything that encouraged him to think that it was ever okay to look for food in the grass? I, it's just so fraught with danger when whatever it is I'm trying to achieve with doing that, I could achieve it in a way that was much safer. So I just can't think of any reason why I would take that risk. And yep, I know whenever I put up posts about that, there'll always be people who say, well, I've done it with my dog and he never scavenges. And I'm really happy for you. But what about all the other people who try and their dogs do scavenge randomly now and end up dead? Mm. That's too risky for me. So again, I get the theory of it and anyone who wants to do it, knock yourself out. I can think of better ways to stimulate my dog than to possibly teach him to scavenge. You think even on um, an estate, a, a well-trained dog will bring you a freshly killed bird, but it, it pretty much ignores what is carrying, is dead, it's been there for a few weeks. They, they tend to not bring you bits of animal. You know, there's plenty of bits of animal all over an estate and they ignore it all because they know they're looking for a specific thing. And, and that's far more important to me than to teach in a dog, whatever you find on the floor is fair game. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Teach him to focus on that thing. You don't need to teach him to go and then look for other crap. Your dog goes out looking for a bird. And while he's working, that's what he goes out and does. And he looks for the bird. That's what I want him to do. I don't want him to be distracted by other things. Why would I train him to be distracted potentially by other things? And by teaching your dogs, the only thing you're ever looking for is that game. That's all he focuses on. If he comes across other things, he ignores them because he knows what he's supposed to be trying to find. Once you start teaching him to look for food as well, you'll probably have a dog that doesn't work as well because he's not quite sure what he should be going and looking for. He's also conditioned to believe now he could be distracted and may end up picking up something lethal. Claire? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I just, I again, it's, it's this theory versus reality thing. But even for me, in theory 
teaching dogs to eat food off the floor doesn't sit well with me full stop it just doesn't it never has even before I really thought about it I kind of thought you don't understand why you would want your dog to do that you know it just doesn't sit well with me it's dangerous and yeah if you're lucky enough that you've done it with your dog and they haven't ever eaten anything they should but actually how do you know because when your dog's out of sight if you've taught it to scavenge or you've taught it to hunt long grass you don't know if it actually has picked up something and you might have just got lucky so far why would you take the risk why i know for us a lot of time when my dad had pups and in on the yard you know like sometimes they'd come across like a mouse a dead mouse whatever and as they put in their mouth he'd be like out he would like get quite cross with not cross with the dog but or yeah. say to us grab him get it out of his mouth it didn't take the dog long to learn that if it's if it's on the floor like that it's not my food to be having because again you don't even know what things have died from let alone absolutely yeah well we we literally at the moment because where we train there are orchards around our field at the moment, at night, badgers, foxes, goodness knows what else, are, are getting apples and bringing half-eaten apples into the field. Um, and a couple of weeks ago, you know, when the weather was still warmer and that was happening, a lot of these half-eaten apples had wasps in them. Yeah. I don't want my dogs to go and pick up those half-eaten apples and get stung by wasps that are in it. I mean, and that's not even as deadly as let's just say if it was, um, you know, a dead mouse or rat, Joe, like you just said, that potentially died via being poisoned and then your dog actually eats that or whatever else. Um, so I just teach my dogs they can't have stuff off the food. And I don't know if any of you saw the video of Rose, bless her little heart, last week. I sent her on a blind retrieve. She didn't know what that was for. It was a blind retrieve. She happened to come across an apple. She didn't eat it. She picked the whole apple up and retrieved it to my hand. I then sent her back and she got the dummy. The last thing I would have wanted was for her to pick up, you know, that apple and think, oh, food, brilliant. I found it. Mine, let's eat it. Because I don't know if that's a good thing for her to find. So I teach my dogs to retrieve things they find, not eat them. Thank you both for another fantastic podcast. I know that lots of people will have found this really, really informative and enjoyable, just as I have. If you have listened to this, please, on Instagram or Facebook, if you hashtag less food, more fun, we will try our best to pick it up and share it with other people. But we really want to do our best to get this concept out there that it doesn't all have to be food related. If you want to get hold of our wonderful Claire Denia, as always, you can get hold of her in our website at any time. You can get hold of her in our Facebook group at any time. Rob, if people want to get hold of you, how do they get in touch with you? Um, so they can either get in touch with me uh, via email. Uh, my email address is robalane at aol.com. Or they can get in touch with me through the Canine Instructor Academy website. Uh, which is canine-instructor-academy.co.uk. Um, yeah, probably either of those two. Or they can just call me, of course. Um, my number is 07726-787-343. And I'm happy for any of you to call me. I'm a very lonely person. I don't get out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only allowed out on day release. <laughs> 
if you get a call now from India at 3am in the morning, it's <laughs> my fault. You just gave out your number on the podcast. Um, well, thanks again, uh, both of you. I'm sure we'll have you both on again soon to do some other wonderful stuff. I've made a list uh, for a podcast on enrichment and a podcast on consent. Um, so they'll both be fun too. If you are a member of the LWDG, you can obviously listen to this in the podcast. You will be able to find some more stuff as well in the um, website, in the courses. There's fantastic courses by all our trainers, but there's also a wonderful um, masterclass by Samantha Thornitrop-Taylor on encouraging play in puppies. That's definitely worth watching and plus more. And I'm sure Claire will add some to the 10 minute training soon too. Some ideas of what we can use um, instead of food. Deal. 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 That'd be wonderful. In the temperature. If you're not a member yet, we still have running our three-day free trial. It shouldn't still be available, as I said last week, but I haven't taken it off the website yet. So enjoy it while it's there because it can go as soon as as quickly as it was put there. Um, I hope you've all enjoyed. I hope you all have a fabulous day, and we look forward to speaking to you all next week. Thank you for listening to LWDG Pod Dog with me, Joe Parrott. Now, we all know training a dog takes time, energy and patience, but our lives can be really, really busy. Don't worry, the LWDG has got you covered. Join us for our free planning workshop where we'll show you how to use short 10-minute training sessions each day to fast-forward your dog's education. Our experts have years of experience in training dogs and will help you get started on the right foot. Register now and start making progress with your furry friend today. Go to our Facebook page, The Ladies Working Dog Group, and click on the pinned post. Or visit www.thelwdg.com.